Hello. You should have started singing. Uh, what is it? I got to sing it in my head till I get up the title. Mm-hmm. Um, you and whose army? You and whose army? Is that they might be giants? <laughs> no, interesting, interesting riff. Although maybe they could do a good remix of it. You and whose army? I don't know. Who is that? You don't know that? <sighs> okay. Uh, Bare Naked Ladies. No. Um, I mean, you have this album. Fastball. You have this album, surely. But this is not one of the more popular tracks from the album. Is it R.E.M.? No. You? And who's... Don't look it up. Don't look it up. I'm not. I'm sitting here like an animal. All right. You and Who's Army. It does oh, sound... Maybe you don't have this album. Maybe this is when they got too weird for you. Uh, Radiohead? Yeah. Hey! Don't you remember that song starts with a big inhale into the microphone? Kind of like what you just did when you connected with Skype? Ah. Uh, and then, know. yeah, right uh-huh. into the song. You and Who's Army. All right, let me look it up now. You and... Just go play it on YouTube. Listen to the big inhale at the beginning of the song. It is the defining characteristic of that song. You, oh, it's from the album Amnesiac. Yes, and you know what else uh, starts with that? Car parts. Maybe. Car parts I starts with an exhale, or an inhale, inhale. rather. Uh, this is a good one. You, this is going to be one Can you name books. another song that, I, that we both know? Oh, boy. That starts with a big inhale. Do I get a free t-shirt? Um... Let's see. I'll give you a hint by saying that the uh, first word is make. Make a difference. Make stand in. Make me smile. Can't you hear it though? Doesn't this not? Doesn't this stick in your mind of like the first sound of a song? Songs that start Car with a big inhale. Car parts is the only song I could think of that starts with a big. <gasps> Uh, make, make. It's also not one of the more popular songs from the album that it appears on. Oh God, that's a good hint. Um, make. It is a band that we both like. Make, and have lots of albums, so that narrows it down a lot. Uh, uh, make a make. Oh 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 oh. Um, make a hole or or the make a make a make is a it, hole is it like the, the dwarves and myth. Huh? No, don't worry about it. Just keep Wait, going. Make, it's not. Is is it uh, Anna Ng? No. Make R-E-M. a hole. Make a hole with the gun. Oh, it's an REM song. Make starts with an inhale. Make, make your make your make your make. It's an REM song. Make make your money. Make your money. How you <laughs> can? It's a good Skype impression, but it's not that era. It's later REM. Make your difference. When REM went electric, make your monster. Mm-hmm, that's the album. Make your. Cue it up in your iTunes now. Uh, Go to Monster. Make. I, I can't believe you don't know the Inhale songs. Oh my you god! You know Car Parts. The Car Parts is your only, and you know this song. Don't tell me you don't know the songs on Monster. Like you've never listened to Monster before. I saw them on that tour. Hmm. Make, make your frequency, Kenneth. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. It's make the hit single with eyeliner. Mm-hmm. Make Star 69. King of Comedy. Oh, I don't know that song. Yeah, it's not. I, it, I it's know not King of Birds song. by R.E.M. Does that help? Partial credit? How many birds were there, Merlin? <laughs> there were five birds. No, it's right in the song. Oh, the birds of Guatemala make 
a camera. Isn't it a hundred million? Hundred mil- King of birds and children carry reservations standing on the shoulders of giants. Hundred million birds fly away. Rise Where do they fly, up, rise up. Away. I imagine this so much it seems more like a memory. When is it going to get to me? Oh my when God. birds fly away, where is away, Merlin? So heaven needs three cheeses. I'm not going to pay a lot for this muffler. Okay, do I sound any different this week? Um, you're, I think we're both a little bit lower volume, but that might be my setup here. I have a new microphone, and so far no one has noticed. Hmm. I bought a costly microphone. I don't have my cloud lifter. Or I'm going to put a cloud lifter on it. I guess it doesn't sound that different. I thought it would sound different. Here, let's check this out. Okay. I mean, I, I'm hearing you over Skype, remember? Yeah. I, it's not high fidelity. So I have the, I have the bass uh, roll off, off, but bass roll off on. Now, bass roll off, off. That, now, do I sound more authoritative this way? Hmm, maybe. Do you, which one do you like better? Do you like this one? Or do you like, do you like this one? You know, I don't the difference? Know. They, they sound very similar over they Skype. They sound very similar. Okay, now cover this eye. Can you read me the first row? Oh, that's too boomy. Anyway, inhale song. My problem songs, is inhale. Car parts. Car parts. King of Birds and You and Whose Army. Do you know the song Car Parts by the Long Winners? I believe I'm, I heard it uh, performed live once. So. Uh, and that, I believe, is the only time I've ever heard it. You've never heard it on the, uh, is this the right setting? Yeah. Okay. Um, Supposedly, this reduces bloom, a boom owing to the proximity effect. So hopefully, it's got a good, uh, it's got a fat diaphragm. It's a, it's a card, cardioid, cardioid microphone. Okay then. Okay then. So, I, yeah. What mic did you get? Do you? Do you it's a uh, nice. It's a nice one. Uh, as I, you I, would say, do you feel comfortable saying? No, I, uh, I, I still am not. I want to sound like John Dickerson, and I haven't figured out how to do that yet. Mm, I don't know who that is, so you're fine. Okay. Um, it starts with make, make. Your even, even after knowing the song, you can't you can't recall anything make, from about it. King of Comedy. I don't remember that at all. This was this is. I was just hanging on because I was a fan at this point. Yeah, yeah. The last, the last day. The last REM album that I spent a lot of. I don't know this mic. I don't know if it's going to work out. I see. I've lost a lot of my high end, and so oh, everything just sounds. Everything just sounds like to me. Um, yeah, you become uh, the Charlie Brown parents just slowly over time. That, <laughs> that you're in a good mood. Why are you in a good mood tonight? What happened? Did you eat different? What's going on? I don't know. I like this, John. This is fun, John. This is mm. party, John. Do you remember when I talked about Monster, by the way? It was like the, the, the first song I played an electric guitar that sounded anything like the song I was trying to play because wow. uh, Monster is full, filled with distortion and uh, they have a song, Let Me In, which is essentially like four basic chords that anybody who knows guitar can play. So you just take your electric guitar, you put on a big fuzz pedal, yep. and you just crank it all the way up, and you just play like whatever it is, like A minor, G, B, and it sounds like Let Me In. Huh. Let Me In. That's uh, the 10th song on the album, Monster. You're thinking of lots Monster. of distorted guitar and very simple chords. God, my brain's a pudding for this stuff. There's some stuff I remember so well and other stuff, especially when you call me like on the spot, I just black out. Now, well, okay, I mean, so, Monster is not, that's not your RM. Well, the last one I was super duper excited about, because it's a real, it's a real ride when you're very into the work of a band and you go through a succession of two or three releases where you're like, oh, I think I might like this even better than the stuff I love. And then you go like, oh, I still like this. So I was waning a little bit on Life's Rich Pageant, even though I loved it. I've come to really love, uh, what's the Maps and Legends one? Uh, fables of the reconstruction mm-hmm. but the last one i was really that i can really peg to like being super excited was the uh the breakout hit the, the near, near well country one um oh uh out of time god you're good yes out of time because i like that one song and i like some of the other songs um 
But yeah, it's a funny thing. Did you ever listen to so that episode? They lo- but they lost you with Automatic? I mean, that's that's a great album. I need to go back. to That's such a grown-up album. This happened to me with Rush. It happened with Rush. Because Rush had put out Permanent Waves. And then they put out Moving Pictures. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. And then they put out uh, the one with Subdivisions um, in like 83 or so. And it just, it was like, if for some reason, there'd been keyboards on their stuff for years, but suddenly it was just too much keyboards for me. And I was really into the Who at the time and it bugged me. But uh, no, I'll, I'll go back to it. I don't listen to music much anymore. This is, I should make this one of my summer projects. Nobody's asked me about my summer projects. I have some projects. I heard a little bit about them on other podcasts. I think well, I'd be happy to tell you about my, some of those topics. Well, let me open my text file. Do you have summer projects, John? I'm not a project person. The closest I think I've come to a project in my adult life was when I decided to get a dog, and that was last year's <laughs> summer project. Yeah. That, that was like a conscious, like, this is what I'm going to do this summer. We're going to get a puppy, and uh-huh. it's going to be a lot of work, and I'm going to do that work, and that's my summer project. And I did that. Um, but beyond that, I don't think I really do that. I don't do New Year's resolutions. I don't really do projects. Okay. Well, uh, I, I this is a silly word. I somehow stumbled upon that felt valuable to me you know me and the words you know and the distinctions and stuff catastrophizing yeah i know well and i also get really like i get really uh i get touchy about a word that doesn't mean exactly the thing that i mean and i struggle Mm -hmm. for the word that means it better and so like there's like one example uh from uh, dan's back to work program is i i think it's valuable to try to distinguish something a lot of people tend to call the same thing so i know what you're gonna say now can i guess yes Expensive versus costly. Oh, that's a good one. I use that one a lot. Did you ever notice that's that? That's one of your favorites, but that wasn't what you were going to say. Meaningful. I it. It's meaningful. It costly means it, it's a lot of money. Expensive means it's a lot of money and it might not be worth a, a, that amount of money. No, no. Um, I was going to go instead with uh, leader versus boss versus manager, hmm. for example. I mm-hmm. think those are distinguished, distinguishing things. Like anybody can be a leader if they're a leader. You know, Mm -hmm. your boss is the person whose orders you have to follow. A manager might be somebody who's a peer, but who is charged with managing that project. And I I think those kinds of distinctions can be valuable. At one point in my 43 folders, reveries, I was, you know, I was kind of turning over, because this is the kind of thing I did, because I had a productivity website and I thought about this stuff. And I think about, is there a distinction between things like a to-do and a task? And there's this word that I came upon, uh, not literally, that I really like, uh, and I started sometimes somewhere between a task and a project and more of like a, a, a intentionalities. I would have in, inten, intentionalities. So these are less of projects and more of intentionalities. These are things where I've mindfully decided that these are things, and it's not, this is not, this is dumb stuff, but it's stuff I really want to do uh, over this summer. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, by the way, a real-time follow-up. Mm. Uh, is that your definition of expensive? Because I'm pretty sure that's not the definition of expensive. Oh, no, this is going to be bad, huh? Costly versus expensive. Expensive versus costly English vocabulary. Oh, it's a forum site. It's a PHP BB. Difference I'm just saying, like, expensive. expensive, when I look at the definition, it says costing a lot of money. It doesn't say, like, anything about the comparison of how much it costs versus how much it actually is worth. I would say the Gibson guitar that I thought about buying is very... I looked those up, by the way. I was like, how expensive could a guitar be? We're, be honest. Were you surprised? I was very surprised. I was this is actually what I want to talk to you about. It before, to okay, introduce I, I, this, yeah, yeah, one, yeah. one of your summer projects is that you wanted to play more guitar, and you that way end, ahead, you yes. bought yourself a guitar. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. I would love to hear about it. Okay. Uh, intentionalities. 
I, I think there's a difference. I think you could say you could say that high quality sunscreen can be costly, but the junk that you buy at the resort is expensive. I don't think that's the definition of expensive, though. I understand the distinction you're getting at, but I'm not sure that word, those two words, have that difference between them. Do you listen to uh, Lexicon Valley? I do not. It's a really good show. It's a slate show this guy does. He's a linguist, and he's got a great sense of humor, and he loves Broadway, and he's my age, and he's really funny. And uh, <laughs> Why don't you marry him? <laughs> he's married already and has kids. He All has right, two then. beautiful daughters. Mm-hmm. Don't be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny why don't you marry him uh is this doesn't sound too boomy to you no I, skype skype kills everything all right jim do what you can with this i bought a costly mic <sighs> never mind forget it forget it. I'm, I'm done helping you but anyway he gets real nerdy he gets real nerdy about words and like he explains all these things about words and how you get dick out of richard and how you get bob out of robert and and mm-hmm. how mean actually means miserly and stuff like that but he tells the stories and stuff and it's really good Okay, so here's what I've got. These a mean are, idea to call my own? Wait, say that again. A mean idea to call my own. Okay. A simple prop to occupy mm-hmm. my time. Mm-hmm. Okay. But seriously, when you throw it away, where's it away? <laughs> Has anybody ever really asked that question? Hmm. Exhuming McCarthy. <sighs> so here's the things I've got right now. Um, let me start. Okay. So here's a really boring one. Um, and the iOS 12 news is a wraparound episode. By the time this comes out, this will be a two to seven week old uh, thing. But the way that uh, iPad on iOS 12 now lets you get into the, um, touch bar mode, you know? Okay. Sorry. I'm all over the map. Yes. So here's the thing. One of my, my least important one of these on my list is for my summer intentionalities. Mm -hmm. This sounds like a relay show. Is this a relay show? It's starting to really Mm -hmm. sound like a relay show. We're talking about our summer intentionalities here. You're this could be the summer, of, the summer of intentionality. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna... to be the summer of George. <laughs> That's all I can think about. Anyone says summer of anything. It's 100% in my Diana mind. Ross? All the time. Um, I, uh, I probably use the 3D touch to edit text more than your average bear, but I mm. want to use it. I want to start, I want to have that be the way that I get, I want to get good at that. And I want to start having that be the way that I edit text. It's already kind of the way I edit text on my iPhone, but um, I want it that this summer I'm going to get really good at doing that because it saves a ton this of time. Is, this is one of your intentionalities to get to change the way you edit text on your iPad. It, well, well, as up till today, as we record this, it's uh, Tuesday, June 26th. Up until today, it was going to be mainly iPhone because up till now to get into touch bar mode, touch pad mode on iPad it's cool, but a little bit of a hack. You hold your iPad finger. usually in both hands. You swipe two fingers across the keyboard to go into the touchpad mode, which is not difficult nor hard. There's a difference. Uh, it's not difficult to do, but it's a little bit of a weird thing when you're holding the iPad. Um, as of uh, 12, you do a long press on the space bar, and it turns into the touchpad. So the least important of all of my intentionalities for the summer of intentionalities, the summer of George is I want to get good at that. I, cause, cause do you do that? It's really fast. It's super fast. Do you do it on your phone? I uh, text anything dealing with text on iOS drives me batty because I don't like when I have to wait for the computer. And so many of the text of uh, things dealing with text on mm-hmm. iOS require you to wait some minimum amount of time. And I cannot stand it. And so, yeah, I know all the different key things to get into swipey mode, to get into cursor mode. All of them require me to wait. And they just like, 
Just give me arrow keys. That's why I love Twitterific so much. Twitterific lets you swipe anywhere in the edit area, left or right, to move yeah. the insertion point one character. Yeah, and I find that so much more satisfying than. Well, and you're the the. Um, let me put a little sriracha on that. Uh, the other thing you hate is you hate having to wait, and then you hate inexactness. The same way we both are driven crazy on Apple TV with that you have to look remote. Yeah. So yeah. you swipe, have to swipe, wait swipe. to three, find out three if you even spaces. got it. You have to wait to find out if you got it in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. That's doubly frustrating. Okay, that text took editing in iOS before you move on to your next intentionality. Did yeah, you go. see this today? Um, I think I did. Let me open this. You sent it. You can see the animation. Yeah, yeah, you link, you link to this. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't really exactly understand it, but it seemed interesting. I read the first bit of it. So what, what I can it? explain it to you from the animation. Uh, this is, this is from a, a Medium it, post that we will put in show notes called Backspace Rethought by Lewis Anslow. Right. And so we've got the backspace button on an iOS keyboard. And he's like, why do keyboards, why do virtual keyboards that are just pictures on a screen have to be so tied to the physical reality of keyboards as they have existed? Oh, I see what you're saying. This is brilliant. So instead of tapping the delete key or instead of doing that thing where you hold it down and it deletes a certain number of characters, then it switches into whole word mode. And you have to like, if you you miss that, that jump and you don't realize it's jumped into that mode, you delete too much. Mm -hmm. Why do it that way? Instead, why not let you tap and hold on the delete key and then drag the delete key across the screen. To Something the you could never do with a physical keyboard. Mm-hmm. And so then you'd have a one-to-one delete where as far as you drag it, that's how far it deletes. And you can go back if you go too far. And if you want to do multiple lines, you can move the delete key up. Yeah. It's not, you know, if you, you can't use it for paragraphs and paragraphs of text, but it's... No, but I mean, like, the typical, in, a typical place where you would want to change some stuff is probably in messages, where it's, there's a good chance what you want to take care of is early in that, like, for most of my typos tend to be, just because I have bad luck, many of my typos are in the first, first word that I typed, and that, that's the kind that's particularly annoying, where it's nice to have some navigation, right? And in this case, so what they're saying in this, in this uh, you've already said this, but you grab, hold drag left and then that's visually portrayed in how much text gets selected as you move left it's grayed out and then when you're done you let go and it deletes whatever you selected that would be really smart yep this is a clever thing it doesn't help with placing the insertion point uh to your point about if i just need to go and, and change the first word and again that annoys me mm-hmm. placing the insertion point annoys me and particularly if i misplace it with my giant fat finger using that stupid loop to try to show me where it is <sighs> I, I just missed it by one character guess what I have to redo the entire action and make a second attempt with the same fat finger blocking things just to move the thing one character to left or right because there's no arrow keys and it doesn't let you do swiping. So, And also, I mean, I don't know. It feels like a rigged carnival game sometimes where I feel like, you know, you know, something along the lines of a snap to grid or a like, um, what's, what's the term for like when you would be using an Adobe app and you'd hit shift to have a straight line, that kind of thing. Constraint. Like, it mm-hmm. feels like there's some constraint that it's doing automatically, but it doesn't always favor the sensible place to go. I feel like there should be a little bit of constraint. For example, if you're anywhere near between the last word in a sentence and the period, I feel like in, there should be cons- some constraint to favoring landing to the left of the period a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, it should kind of like snap to certain areas that are a logical place to want to be. And I, all, yeah. I frequently get those kinds of things wrong. Those kind of snaps are annoying, though, because if you actually want the opposite, you need yeah, a way you to override the snap. You want to do quotes instead, yeah. 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 Um, well, you know, there are lots of third-party keyboards out there. But you, know, you try just for fun. You don't have to make this your summer intentionality. But, uh, but try using that pressy go-around thing. Like in, in, places, in things like drafts, it's so fast. It's iOS 12 only, though, right? No, no. Um, the, the pressing to edit is just ios i don't know 10 even i don't know well that's but you don't you need to do force 
pressed or whatever 3D touch for that? Yes. So the iOS 12 thing is you don't need to do press really hard 12 on your phone thing, No, no. Anymore. At this point, no, no. The iOS 12 thing is just the only change is that now that it looks like they're moving in a direction of adding things that used to be 3D touch only, only to the iPad. The difference hmm. is here that instead of doing a two-finger swipe, you just long press on the keyboard on the on iPad. On the space bar, right? Or, oh, yes, yes that's right. On, on, the, on the space bar, correct. But, um, but try it. Like when you're in something like whatever you're editing text in. So, you know, I, I'm just saying this to our audience because you're a smart smart Apple boy and you know this. But so if you're on a, cap- on a 3D touch capable phone and you're anywhere where you're editing text, you just do a, a medium hard press. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. You do a press on the keyboard of your iPhone and it'll turn into like one, it'll, you, the letters will go away and you'll see, okay, now you're in uh, touchpad mode. So now with your thumb, you scoot to wherever you want to be in the text that you're editing. And then you ever so, this takes more practice than like instruction, but you ever so imperceptibly press a little bit harder and it selects whatever word you're in. And now you can drag and that's selecting all of the lines that you're dragging as you move your thumb down or up. And the reason I don't like this is if my insertion point is off by one character, you have to be have the pr- precision of a surgeon when activating that mode because yeah. it doesn't know that you just want to move one character. It's like, you can move that insertion point anywhere on the screen. Just move your thumb around. It's like, actually, I, I'm off by one character. So now I must precisely roll my thumb to move the insertion point, the one character that I want, oh, and then I, lift yeah, up without yeah. moving. On my very long list of bitches about Apple things, this is extremely low on the list, but this could certainly be a result of getting older. I think this is a result of the screens getting more dense and big, but the loop for like when you go somewhere and you insert, you're inserting in the text, you get a little loop that shows you a zoom in of where you are. I feel like that worked better back in the day on a smaller screen where consequently the loop was bigger. I feel like I have to move my thumb kind of inscrutably in order to see the loop on an iPhone 10. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if that's well, a piece is like uh, like the uh, the address bar in Safari where the loop like you're already at the top of the screen so there's no room for the loop to be. No, that's no good. Yeah. I mean, who, who edits things in the address bar me all the time? Yeah, you don't even need to see it. No, you don't even need an address bar anymore. Just look go to your bookmarks. Mm-hmm. Uh so wow, that was a long time on my least important intentionality. Uh, other ones. Um I want to do more things where I uh, play something like catch with my daughter and she likes frisbee, so we're going to play some frisbee this summer. I got all some right. frisbees. Um, my daughter is, right, does, uh, she, she, are, does she know this? Uh, she's, she's aware generally. I have to have aware of ways. the frisbee plan. This gets us to another one of my intentionalities that she's way ahead of me on. She is obsessed with breath of the wild right now. I mean, well, it, it's worth being obsessed with. Well, it's on my list. I'm going to finally play Zelda breath of the wild. She is, She'll let her play it. You can just be her co-pilot. She just keeps saying she, cause it's just basically it's of course it's become her switch. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, just make sure you change to your person. Don't play on my person because I, I can dye my clothes now and I can do all this oh, stuff. Hey, but you're, you're going to try to do your own. Why don't you play together? Can you do that? On her thing. Like, let her play and you be there as a helpful advisor. No, no, no. She's way ahead of me. But, I know, uh, so. You can be she, This way, is the I'm, most into um, a video. I mean, like, she gets very, she, she, she very much enjoys playing a given game obsessively for a while, but she just like disappears into this game. She is really, really enjoying it's, it. It's, it is definitely a game that you can disappear I into. Love the, but I love the, anim- the, the choices for how it's rendered. You know what I mean? Yep. It, at first it's, it's a, a little Z- weird, but it's gorgeous. The Zelda series has gone through an interesting artistic transformation over the past decade or so. Like, so, you know, it, it look all 
blocky and gross one of the early games and then mm-hmm. the 3d ones were like as good as we could make it with technology available which was always very limited and, and was a particular aesthetic just because like this is it this is what we can do right at a certain point they started to creep up on okay we can make it a little bit we can make it higher fidelity now we have to make an artistic choice because we have enough power and fidelity now mm-hmm. to are we trying to go for photorealism but, it's, but it, we're we, not going to be at the level of destiny yeah but, but no but even so like Right, like you have to, you have to choose what style you want. Kind of like like Pixar. Pixar could make people that look more realistic than the people that they make, but it's an artistic choice to make them stylized. Like the heads are a little bit bigger, the eyes are a little bit big, but they're not completely cartoony. Like so, that's that's the style choice I'm talking about. Here. So Zelda, yeah, yeah, Zelda yeah. series had that choice too, and they mostly went for kind of fantasy realism up to a point where there was a very significant game in the Zelda series where they went cartoony, like. We have the technology. We can make our next game look even more realistic kind of fantasy. But instead, we're going to intentionally go like a cartoon, like cell-shaded cartoon. Breath of the Wild looks, I don't want to say anime, but it's um the, the colors, the colors are just glorious. And it really suits that medium. It looks great on that little screen. It looks amazing. Well, so Breath of the Wild is actually a ways past this big turning point of like, hey, we're going to make everything cartoony. Because then the one after that, they're like, well, actually, like several games after that, they said, how about we go for a more painterly look? Like, so that looks That's like the screen put it. Mm-hmm. was painted by an impressionist painting and they went pretty far in that direction. And I would say Breath of the Wild is like a mixture of sort of photorealistic fantasy, cell shading and impressionist painting. It's, it's basically a combination of the, of the look, sort of a, an amalgam of the looks of several of the games that came before it. And it does strike a good balance, especially, and it, it was dictated somewhat by the technology because uh, Breath of the Wild is an open world game and they've got a lot more crap to render. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they could have gone with ultra detailed textures even if they wanted to, uh, but they wisely chose not to go cell shading because so much of the vistas that you look at, they want to evoke like, you know, uh, a somewhat realistic setting to remind you of the real world. It's a great game. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. Casper is the company that is focused on sleep and they've dedicated themselves to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend one third of your life sleeping and hey, let's be honest, if you spend a third of your life doing anything you'd want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be, This is why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. You ask yourself, what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? Well, they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the United States of America and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver that mattress directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. Well, it is summertime in San Francisco, and that means it's the time of year when I have to travel to places that are not San Francisco, which happens to be the location of my Casper mattress that I have owned and loved for many years. I do not prefer the other mattresses. I like to be at home. My Casper is a very important part of my very sophisticated sleep workflow. I treasure it. It is just the best. And right now, you, you, the listener, can go get $50 towards select mattresses. 
by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using the offer code diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. You go to casper.com slash diffs, offer code diffs, D-I-F-F-S. Our thanks to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. So, um, text editing, we'll come back to guitar, uh, frisbee, breath of the wild. The other thing I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm always trying to dip back into the, the voice thing. So I'm trying to do a thing. I failed at it. I partially succeeded, barely partially succeeded, which is, um, I'm trying not to look at my phone at all in the morning on weekends with my goal being to get to where I don't interact with anything that's not voice controlled before noon. I thought this was going to be like a get the technology out of my life, but it's still just a shift in different technology. That's fine. But the, I know what I do. I, I, I know that I pick up my phone. You do that. I do that. I do that. What I do is first of all, I go through all my sleep apps and make sure everything's up to date. I look at Twitter. I look at my email. I look at all this stuff and I, it's really rote. I don't even mean to do it. And it doesn't make me happy. It's increasingly make me, making me less and less happy. And I want to get my head back in the game uh, on weekends. Uh, we just, Focus on all my sleep apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, see also. See, uh, I went right the, past that one. <laughs> the sixth alarm clock, the seventh, whatever number alarm clock was. I feel like the, your no, number no, of sleep no, no. apps it's may like be a seventh, thing to revisit. It's more like the seventh independent lab. Because hmm. <laughs> I can't get the same results from any two labs. <laughs> I'd be put it on the list. I'd be happy to talk about that. Yeah, that's mainly it. That's mainly it. Uh, and then the guitar. I want to play guitar a lot more. Uh, and uh, in service of playing a guitar more. Your, at this point, old... at this point, we, you can choose to fork in many different directions. You could, you could ask me about my sleep apps. We could talk about my new guitar. Uh, we could look at, uh, we could talk about Quinn's video. We'll go wherever you want to go. Drive. <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about your actual guitar. Um, my journey? So you... We're hearing about my journey? <laughs> So yeah, so you had a guitar, which actually it sounds like is very similar to mine. I think we discussed this before. A very old Yamaha with ridiculously high action and that is very hard to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you figured if I'm going to play more guitar, uh, the treat I'm going to give myself in Dubai Friday parlance mm-hmm. uh, would be I'm going to get a new guitar. And you mentioned a couple models of guitar that you considered but uh, decided not to go with. I even used cost, that phrase I don't too like. Much money. What was the phrase I used? Affordable. I can't afford them. Yeah. Did you know, did you have any idea that, that like guitars were that expensive? Well, I mean, I knew they could be out there, but you, you I, mentioned. I think like uh, I hear about, like you hear about like a vintage Martin guitar and you go, oh, this Martin guitar, like you're going to pay $10,000 for that or something. Like, well, yeah, that's crazy. Like some, something that's like, you know, a, a guitar they haven't made since the 60s. It's yes. made famous by some 60 rocker and you'd have to get it used one in pristine condition. And like, yes, yes of course, that's lots of money. So you yeah, mentioned so, so this I guitar. Talk, I talked about this on Roderick, but here's the quick version. The quick version is that the acoustic guitar that I have. So I own three guitars. Well, I have one that doesn't really work, but I've got three guitars basically right now. Uh, it, kind of. So I've got an acoustic you know, as you say, Yamaha, that sounds great, but it's terrible action and won't stay in tune. And the nut has like, or the Brit, not the, the nut. Yeah. has like, has fallen off and I got to like re-glue it and it's just, it's terrible, but I love it. I got that 30 years ago, 1988 for uh, $200. I have an Epiphone electric that I bought in the late, mid to late nineties in the Bacon Ray era. And I have a guitar ukulele that has gotten me back into enjoying playing the guitar, but the guitar ukulele, because it's a ukulele is real tiny and I've got arthritic 51-year-old man fingers, and it's not that fun to play, like, little plucky riffs on it. And so I just, I got an itch. And I, I just started saying, I'm, okay, you know, it's like the secret. I'm going to uh, manifest this in the world. I'm just going to start thinking about, about getting a guitar. And I found this site that I never should have found. 
Oh my God, you have got to see this. I'm not, you know me, I'm not a gearhead, right? You know, you know, I'm not really like the gearhead guy. I'm not sure I know that. Okay. Well, let's escalate it quickly because I was listening to, I was listening to a Lemonheads record and I was thinking a 90s Lemonheads record and I was like, oh man, I love the sound of Evan Dando's acoustic guitar. So check out that website. This website is a bad idea for people. I'll put this in show notes. It is called Equipboard. Uh, per friend of the show, John Syracuse. I don't have a way to vet how much of this is exactly true, but it purport, purports to show the equipment that various entertainers use. And then you can pivot by looking at that instrument and seeing who else plays that instrument. Kind of a cool idea, don't you think? Uh, sounds like a good way to make money from yeah, uh, affiliate, links. affiliate links. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, but it was really cool. And I was like, hmm, this looks like a neat guitar. This, this is classic dreadnought. This Gibson J45. I'm like, oh, I've seen this guitar. This is a beautiful guitar. So that Gibson J45 looks almost exactly like my Yamaha. Yeah, me too. Mine's a lot lighter, but yeah. Like it's the same shape, the same dark fade uh, face Sunburst. on it. That the, yeah. the headstock is the same. Like it, it looks very, very similar. And so when I you mentioned this thing, this is the J45. <laughs> yeah. It's you like, it, they call it again, it says you're the workhorse. This is, this is a very standard as in like extremely popular. This is like almost like a strat of acoustic guitars. This is like a classic dreadnought acoustic even guitar. More, even more generic, because if you saw a, a strat, you would say, oh, I recognize that guitar. That's a particular kind. If you saw this acoustic guitar, you'd be like, well, that's just an acoustic guitar. It's not even distinct enough to be identifiable as a particular model. If you didn't see, the, if, you, if, if I'll, I'll say this, if I couldn't see the headstock, and that's a very Gibson headstock. If I couldn't see the headstock, I would not be able to tell you this is a Gibson. Right. And so you mentioned this on the show. You're like, oh, the J45, but I decided that, uh, you know, that, that it was too much money. And so I, I went and Googled J45 and this, and this picture of this guitar came off. I'm like, oh, that looks a lot like my guitar. I yeah. wonder okay, how much before he did. You, before you get to it though, like, what would you guess? Well, when I was thinking, I was like, I wonder how much he didn't want to spend. I, I bought my uh, Yamaha guitar 25 years ago for similar to yours for like, actually I think it was like $180 or something, right? Yeah. In, in like nineteen, You can pick up a, like an okay, good used acoustic guitar for like not that much money. Yeah. And so I figured this one is probably like 600 bucks. Six, he didn't six wanna, or 800 he, bucks. He, yeah. He didn't, he didn't want to buy it. It's too much, right? So his old, his old one was 200 and maybe he'll spend 500, but once it goes six, seven or 800, he's like, eh, I don't want to spend that much. And then I scrolled down and saw the actual price in this guitar. Please tell the folks how much this guitar costs. Let's see. Let's go to Guitar Center. <clears throat> Uh, this one is, uh, 2749. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not like it's $500,000, but my question immediately was, what is it about this guitar that looks in the tiny picture on the internet, very similar to mine, that makes it worth an order of magnitude more money? (sighs) I had the same thought. I mean, mom, obviously my first thought was that's, wow, that's a lot of money. Like a lot, a lot of money like that. I mean, this would be, this would be like the way you look at an automobile kind of where you would be reading magazines and watching videos and doing probably half a dozen test drives before you even like considered. It's certainly not the kind of thing I'm just going to go add to my Bastic and hit the button. But the thing is, I know where the money goes in expensive cars. Right. I know how much of it goes to margin. I know how much of it goes to actual parts. I know what makes a $80,000 car different than a $20,000 car. But I'm looking at this guitar, and I'm sure there's something. But I don't know, personally, what makes a $3,000 guitar better than a $300. They both look exactly the same to me. Like Down to like the individual components, I look at them, I'm like, yeah. 
The bridge looks like a regular like a, bridge. Is the fretboard made of diamonds? I don't see like what? It doesn't even have a whammy bar. <laughs> well, no, 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 it's like cli- an acoustic the, guitar. I know, I know. Well, there's that cliche. Let me give you a corollary. There's that cliche. Um, if you have to, if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it. Maybe a corollary to that would be if you don't understand why it's this costly, you probably shouldn't even consider it. Oh, that that's certainly true. Like, and also, like, if you can't play guitar, don't buy yourself a three thousand dollars guitar. Like, maybe get right. the hundred eighty dollar, uh, you know, dorm room special that I got, and uh, go with that. Let me see. What's the, and then what's the other one? I think it was the. I want to say J two hundred. J two hundred. J two hundred is ugly. Don't how, buy that one. Have a look at the J two hundred. Go Google that. Yeah, that was like thirty seven hundred, right? Oh yeah, the ones I. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you, you can you can spend five thousand dollars on this guitar, and I was just like, I. And so, yeah, so even on the 3750, used from 3750. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's see what it is on uh, Amazon. So what I would imagine would distinguish this is, uh, I'm assuming, higher quality wood. So yeah. whatever wood is better, like... Well, it's probably handmade. Like, le- le- I mean, it's probably less, handmade. Le- less guitar. likely to warp, le- you know, less, less, you know, not machine cut or whatever. Yeah, and hand assembled instead of machine assembled. Maybe the, the quality and durability of the finishes are better. Uh, the, the mechanical systems mm-hmm. uh, made with more precision and of sturdier stuff. And that's basically all I can think of because there's no, like the body of the guitar, it's not like it's going to be, you know, like there's nothing going on inside there that makes the guitar all that different, right? Yeah. You can't make it out of too thick or too thin. Like it, it changes the sound of the guitar. So it's just, it's like all in that neck and head and the way it all connects together. Um, and I suppose that accounts for the difference in price, but I was very surprised. Yeah, I was too. It was a little bit shocking. <clears throat> so you've, then, been out of, you've been out of the game so long, you hadn't even looked at another guitar. Well, that's the funny part of this is that, I mean, on the one hand, I only ever really had one, I've only ever owned one very nice guitar. Uh, and that was, I had a, a Rickenbacker 12 string that was really cool. Um that I probably, that I couldn't afford, but I bought anyway. Um, that was a long time ago. But no, the truth is, I mean, like back in the days when I was actually, it sounds so douchey, but back when I was actually performing live and recording, um, you know, it, even then the idea of spending $1,000 on a guitar, like shh, for $1,000, I, I could get an amp. Like I could get a really, really nice amp. And, you know, even in my 30s and having a job, that just, that's just seemed outrageous. And so, for example, like I say, that, that acoustic of 200, I think my, I bought a used telecaster reissue in college that might have been 400 it was pretty nice had nice like white binding it was just a classic telecaster reissue but um but like that epiphone that epiphone that was like the guitar i played in bacon ray for the most part i think you know what it was earlier than 97 it was probably more like 95 or 96 but um i think that was maybe maybe 400 probably more like 250 and the thing was the other guy the other guitar player in the band was a real like I don't know, a real gearhead. <laughs> he owned tons of stuff. He had like a real gold top. No, he had a real sunburst Les Paul, but he didn't play it on stage. He played his Epiphone Les Paul because it weighed like, you know, half or two thirds as much and sounded fantastic. So yeah, I mean, I'm not that middle-aged that I would consider putting that much into something like this. But so what I did was I said, you know, but I do, I really, I want a nice acoustic guitar. So I started doing some research and I, um, so I, I read things and I looked at videos and I listened to things and just looked around. And so basically to be dead honest, my goal was like, um, I would like to get a good guitar for under a thousand dollars. 
but a guitar that I could have, you know, potentially for years. And yes, it is a treat. So I spent a little more than I would. I could have gotten a totally fine guitar for 400, but I, I'm really happy with what I got for under a thousand. So you got this, what, Seagull something or other? Seagull. I think it's Seagull Artist Mosaic. And it is gorgeous. It smells good. It's got a nice, like, I think from my electric experience, like you think about the difference between like a, a, a Fender fretboard and a Gibson fretboard, like how, you know, you get kind of like a skinnier neck, usually on a Fender and that fatter neck and fatter fretboard. This has a pretty fat fretboard. Um, so it's, it's way, it's super easy to play. It's crispy and tinkly and poppy, but also has a lot of thump. When I do that C chord with the G that I like so much. It's, oh, I see it's got the, the pointy head. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit weird. Isn't that kind of weird looking? A little bit off-putting? Yeah. Yeah. But um, but it's beautiful. Came with a nice case and everything. Like, it's got, it's just real, real pretty. I think I, I, think I, I hit it in the right spot, I hope. Um, partly that I want to treat, and partly that, yeah, I just thought it's time to get a, a big boy guitar. What color did you get? Oh, uh, it's this kind of, this blondish color. Is it the solid cedar, solid mahogany, mahogany, or semi-gloss? That's the top, back, neck, and finish. The top I got is uh, probably, I guess, the cedar. But it's got that, that pretty binding on it. It sounds so good. I don't love that it has a seagull on the 12th fret, but maybe I'll come to love it. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Let me see. Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a silhouette of a seagull. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh, man, it, sounds, it smells great. It's a great-smelling guitar. So yeah, so that's where I am. Now I got myself a treat. And uh, my goal is to initially just play a lot, again, play every day. My, my secondary-ish goal is to get back to where I was 20 years ago, um, which shouldn't be that hard because I was never that good. And then my tertiary goal that I, is still very ill-defined is to get better at some almost entirely new aspect of guitar that I haven't explored in the past. And I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't you ever, exactly... Do you ever do slide? Um, yeah, I've done that, but no, I want to do something that really pushes me to grow. I've never been real good at theory, but maybe something a little bit, uh, just from a technical standpoint, learn something new. I'm thinking it'll probably be actually finally sitting down and relearning from scratch how to finger pick correctly, Mm, which is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But like right now I can diddle around and fake it. But like, um, but you know, it's sort of like, um, who was it? Was it John Bonham? There was some Bill, no, might've been Bill Brubeck. There's a famous drummer who was like a really good drummer. And then he stopped playing in the rock and roll way and like t- had to totally reteach himself how to play jazz because he, he wasn't growing the way he wanted to. And that's how I feel with this. I feel like with this kind of a guitar, it's really kind of made for, for like custom picking, like a country picking. So I think that might be what I do. What do you, what do you think? What do you think would be a good tertiary, uh, not tertiary. What do you think would be a good, uh, Improvement goal. Yeah, that's what I would pick. I would pick the, the kind of like, uh, you know, individual string picking with multiple fingers that uh, that uh, is kind of exclusive to acoustic guitar, that style. Yeah. That's that's what you've got the guitar for. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, I can fake it, and I know a few, like, blues and country runs that come in handy. handy. I know I do, like, little hammer-ons and stuff, but, like, I've never learned to properly, in, independently use all of my digits to, like like legit finger pick. 
And yeah, well, where the right hand's moving faster than the left, instead of all hammer-ons and pull-offs with your left hand, but yeah. the flurry of fingers and on your hand up there is just you know doing chords, right? But it's it really is magic to listen to, and like even in watching some of the demos and uh, reviews of this, you know, of course they bring out their big guns to come and play these things, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can do it, but mainly you know it's a it's a rock guitar guy way that I do it, and it's pretty sloppy, and I lose a lot of articulation around the B and G string. Because I'm mainly focusing on getting the bass note right, and I'm kind of like, blah, 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 doing mm-hmm. these little runs. But did you ever get that far? Do you? You had actual classes at some point, right? Didn't you take no, actual no, guitar? I, did, I didn't. Have yourself piano, taught from had, like fake books. I had piano classes. I had the only class I had for guitar was other people on my floor freshman year of college. So I know nothing about guitar, <laughs> other than to play to play a few chords, Some which fastball. is enough for you. Which is which is enough for you to badly, uh, you know, download guitar tablature off Usenet <laughs> and badly play a few. You know, rock songs that you recognize on heaven. No. As I say, let me in. It's a couple of simple chords. You just put it through electric guitar with huge distortion. You're now playing Let Me In exactly like it is in the album. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it'd be fun. One goal. I'm thinking about it. It's not, I don't know if you call it finger picking or arpeggiation, but think about the beginning of uh, Paranoid Android. It'd be nice to be able to play that. Yeah, that'd be good. That's that's what also. But I was, you know, as someone who can't play guitar but had a guitar, what I was always looking for is there some song that I know that I can play so it sounds like the actual song. Like uh, we're playing the right parts and everything. <laughs> yeah, like the one the one I worked on the hardest for the longest and still was never good at was uh was Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh my God, John! You want me to edit that out? No, the uh the not I'm not it's not saying I'm a fan of the song so much as there is a guitar part in it that it's possible for someone who doesn't know how to play guitar to kind of, you know, the part I'm, I'm thinking about? I think so. It's an undistorted Fender sound. Um, yeah, yeah I, think I think it's the, the intro to the song, right? Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Some, and it's like, it's complicated enough that it sounds I've, vaguely I've eternal sunshine a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers out of my head. Yeah. Anyway, that one, yeah. uh, I think that guitar part is neat, and I was able to play noises that sometimes sounded vaguely like that for brief periods. I've always been envious of people who are better than me. Um, one guy, my my friend Steven, that I did band stuff with back in Tallahassee, we used to play in a cover band. Um, we were, <laughs> we're, oddly enough, we, in the late 90s, we were in an 80s cover band. And he, um, we'd all have our parts that we learned. So I was a singer, and I mainly did the easy rhythm parts. But like Steven, every song we did, he would learn the exact right... This is my friend who tried out for the Foo Fighters, if you've ever heard that story. Um he would learn every part exactly right. And it was like magic. It's like, it's like, I feel like I'm colorblind next to this guy. Like he can see things and hear things and and make things happen with his fingers that I can't see. And I think that really just comes down to like, just, just sitting down and doing it over and over and working on your technique, you know, and honestly watching all these things, these Adam Neely videos, it makes me really want to improve the way I do stuff. I still make my thumb go around the back like a loser. I don't press against the back of the neck like a person. Well, everybody ignore that. that. That's, that's ridiculous. Watch, watch all but the this, musicians you can't you care about. They all, they you can't all wrap get, their thumbs around. You can't get better till you get your technique right. That's what they say. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but uh, but it's fun because like most of my stuff when I when I was doing stuff on my own. So basically, for for years, for many years, starting in college until really I moved here, I would play um, you know stuff live by myself, and it was mainly just really fast open chords, you know, jingly mm-hmm. jangly um, mm-hmm. open Coffee chord stuff. Rock. Yes, I thought you said podcast rock. Um, Same yeah, thing. I can still kind of do that, but wow, I've, it's a, even like that, the, the fakey way I play, uh, tell me why by uh, Neil Young. Wow. I've lost a lot of the dexterity. I really have a lot to gain back. So that's my, that's one of my big summer projects that and Frisbee and, uh, and text editing. 
and uh, Zelda. Yeah, I think I have one half of what your friend Stephen had in that uh, in the same way that I was always frustrated that the toys I got as a kid didn't look or work like the actual things they were supposed to be toys of, right? <laughs> that was, right. right? Uh, for for playing music, whether it's keyboard, uh, I had a lot of electric keyboards growing up, or piano, or guitar, I know what the song sounds like, and I hated when you'd get sheet music or guitar tablature oh, from Usenet simple, or whatever. Easy that version. was like, yeah, the simplifies. Like, that's not what they're playing on the album. I want to play what they're playing on the album. Just tell me what they're playing on the album. The exact notes, like the whole thing. And uh, I don't care if I have to, like, detune my guitar a half step or put on a capo or whatever. I need it to sound like the album. And I was eternally frustrated when things were hard to play, so I couldn't play them because I was terrible. And also, it didn't sound like the album. Yeah. I'm like, just, you know, give me give me the real thing. Really? Yeah. I was happy to just kind of muddle along. That's how no, I taught. I'm, I taught myself with like easy guitar books, and as you know, that's why my D is backwards. I still I still do my D backwards. Yeah, no, I, I just learned from watching people on my floor. And then guitar tablature is like I knew which which strings had to be pressed in which frets, but I had no idea how to accomplish that. Adam Neely <laughs> so says, like, "Don't use tablature." Says, "Don't use tablature." Yeah, this is I, bad you know, for you. I don't I don't know how to play guitar, so I can do whatever I want. You should watch <laughs> Adam Neely. Did you watch that George that Stevie Wonder video thing? No, I have it uh, filed away. I had it filed away before. I, actually I think you might enjoy it. I think you would enjoy. I knew exactly what, uh, which chord you were talking about as soon as you did the little thing. It was an F thing. minor like, seventh, oh, not yeah. an F major seventh. But, but he goes no, through like three different chord. ways of explaining like ways of thinking about this chord. And I won't spoil it for you, but basically he arrives at one solution to this that's kind of mind-blowing. Um, anyway, check it out. It's really good. I'll put it yeah, into I always, show notes. I, I'm, If I ever wanted to actually... Uh, know how to play anything ever i am of the i'm I'm like a bottom-up person and i would need to start with the music theory and understand it and like work my claw my way out from the depths of music theory to the point where i understand even the single simplest thing about music i never did that but i always i feel like that's that's the way i learn best is start start from the bottom teach me the basics teach me the the quantums the sort of the theory behind you know everything and then we'll then a year later we'll get to the point where we play our first guitar chord it's musical maths exactly you know what's funny though is, and you're gonna hate this. This is the kind of thing that drives you nuts. I think um, there are uh, a couple of things I struggled with. I mean, I I got placed kind of weirdly in in math when I moved to Florida, and it was vocational wheel. Uh, it was such a poop show. I was in like consumer math, and I was really dispirited. I used to be a straight A student, and then I was suddenly in this dumb math, and I hated school. So like I, but like the two two things I, I always had a lot of trouble engaging in, mostly in. Uh, junior high and high school was I, I really did not like anything having to do with math and arithmetic, but also the only class I ever failed, uh, I failed music theory my senior, senior year because I just didn't want to play ball and I thought it was so boring. But now as I sit here today, I look at math and I look at music theory and, um, and I'm bummed that I, that I didn't find a way. I don't want to say that I wasn't taught it better. What I will say is I wish I had found a way to see the magic in mathematics and in music theory. Cause now I sit around and it's like porn at night. I just sit around and watch videos where people describe music and music theory. And I'm utterly fascinated by it. And, and just, and once you get to that level that this guy's at where he's talking about like what this chord means alongside these other chord decisions, these voicing decisions, and then alongside the progression that this is part of and what the instruments are doing. I mean, that's like, that's almost like math in some ways. It's like, it's, 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 elegant and and beautiful and it's you're like telling a little story with sound and i just thought it was so dorky i like hated i just hated music theory so much 
I had to I'm write surprised a you haven't gotten to the point where you're watching beginning music theory videos on YouTube. Rather than watching the one where someone who already knows this stuff explains the thing to you in terms of it, you haven't gone and started with, okay, I'm ready. I'm now, my, my body no, is ready. My give, music me, give me the basics. My music theory is like my guitar playing, which is like I know enough to understand and do a little bit, but it's not in my bones. I can't sight read. You know, um, I can't. I've never gotten to where I look at music that is that is to say, I, I mean, obviously I can read the chord figures and know what to make with my fingers, but I've never gotten to where I can, like, for example, sing a tune in my head while looking at the music. So well, tune, I mean, you got to the point where you're taking the theory and using it as part of your music practice, where you're yes. thinking in terms of the theory and you're still thinking in terms of your gut and your mm-hmm. ear. Yeah. Yeah. And like, does and then sound maybe like, retroactively yeah. understanding what it is that you've done in terms of the theory, but not, not going, not going the other way. I don't want to follow my skis here. I'm just going to stick with the playing a lot. I like the finger picking challenge. I remember, you remember that song by Asia, Heat of the Moment? I do indeed. I never meant to be so bad to you. They don't have that accent, but yes, I know the song very well. It is Are you doing a Men at Work accent? <laughs> That's not a Men at Work accent. Not a Men at Work accent? I no. can't get to sleep. Asia doesn't have an accent. Sure he They're does. It's English. John Wetton's English. But then, now, well, you know what I mean. It's not German. Yeah. Um... There was one live video of that I saw one time. You know that that awesome solo, do 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 the Steve Howe solo. And mm-hmm. I remember like watching Steve Howe play. It might have been something my friend pointed out to me, but pointed out this thing that Steve Howe can do. And I, I think other people like there's some Genesis guys that do this. The guy with the mustache in Genesis can do this. But where you're playing a rhythmic bass like figure on the E and A string. Like while you're soloing on E B G and D. But like these two two like nearly independent things. Now I don't want to get that far, but like when you watch somebody who's really good at finger picking, you can feel there it sounds like there's two things going on when there's really one thing mm-hmm. going on. Or but two like, or two or more things. Yeah. Well, and then there's like what's interpolated, like what you hear in between. And mm-hmm. like I'd love to get to that point. I genuinely love uh I genuinely love country music and bluegrass music and like i it just makes me happy and um i'm just at a point in life some people learn to like reggae i really like country music and i love listening to somebody i'm not saying i want to get like this but like to like chet atkins or um you know listening to buck owens and the buckaroos i just love that sound so yeah okay i'm inspired i'm gonna do this thing you want to join me on the journey and go get a, uh, get a guitar get yourself a treat get a treat no. Well, I'm, I'm up for the treats, not so much up for the intentionalities. <laughs> okay, come on. Give me one. You've got to have, look, it's already June. Uh, I've been losing weight. I mean, I guess that counts as an intentionality How thing. could you afford to lose any weight? You're like a rail. I, I put on a whole bunch of weight. Where? In your middle? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Even and with all that a, dog walking? Yeah, I got it back down to my fighting weight, so I've been doing that over the past month or so. Month, Wait, okay, that sounds like an intentionality. Are you? Are yeah, you... but it's not a summer thing. It's just that I'm doing it because I got fat and it's time to not be fat. It sucks to sit down and feel different. I don't like that feeling of like my gut is over my pants. It's just not even an aesthetic issue. It's just like I hate the way that feels. Yeah, I didn't really get to that point, but I, I have a scale and the numbers. St- I started to say those numbers, like at a certain point, the numbers are up, like, yeah, I'm up a little bit. But like uh, you notice, like, wait a second. Now, I, when I started pushing to the next, like to the next, uh, the next digit in the middle of my weight, it was like, no, this, this cannot stand. Mm-mm-mm. No, I know that feeling. Right. And, so yeah. that's, and then I I'm, said, I'm right at no. that right now. I'd lost a ton of, I'm like, so I'm 5'10. I'd been down to like, I was hanging pretty tight around 155, which is a little low for me. 
And then like lately I've been like 162 and I'm like, okay, that's, that'll do. Mm-hmm. And like when I hit 166, that is a psychic line mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I think everybody like, has those. Think about 169. What would you do then? Was nice. that, if that ever changed over to 170, you're like, nope. nope. Well, I used to be 194. Yeah. That was a scene, man. Yeah. But anyway, I've been doing that. Okay. But, but that's mostly just, that's a boring one. That mostly just involves eating less. Eating not, less, eating differently? No. Just, just not uh, stuff in yourself. Eat, eat less, exercise more, my secret diet plan. Do you ever do the hacker diet? You I know about no, that? I don't, I don't do, I, uh, my diet no, plan no, is no, entirely no, of eat less and exercise more. I don't change what I eat. My wife did a less. version of this and it worked great. All you do is you get on a scale every day. And the idea is like, if you weigh the same or less as you do, as you did yesterday, you're on the right path. And you basically just try to make this line go down and you just yeah, do it. That's what I've own- been doing with the little health app on the, I, go, I, I weigh myself every day. I look at the little thing. It tells me, my scale tells me and shows me a graph what I am Delta yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I don't even have to do math in my head. And that's it. That's my entire system. Okay. Good enough. Want to try a sleep app? You can make that an no, intentionality. My sleep works just fine. You don't want to know. I think, I think you're scared to know. I think you're scared to know what your sleep is. You don't want to know how many times you're waking up. It's very stressful. I'm, I'm really good at sleeping. That's where I'm a Viking. Mm. <laughs> I listened a second time to that episode and I still don't hear that interpretation. I still, I think, I still, oh God, this drives me bananas now because I'm terrible at, at, at double entendres in general. But like, I still think he means that's the thing I'm good at. Yeah, me too. But I can, the other way But an equal way number makes of people to seem too. to think that's where in his dreams he's a Viking. Right. I mean, that, that interpretation makes sense. It's not as funny. I guess. But it makes sense. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Green Chef. You can learn more about Green Chef right now by going to greenchef.us slash diffs and get $50 off your first box of Green Chef. This is a new sponsor, and I'm actually super excited about this. My first Green Chef box will be arriving this very day as I record this, and my family is very excited to make it. Let me tell you about Green Chef. It is a meal kit delivery service, including everything you need to cook delicious gourmet meals, yes, that you can feel good about. This is the neat part. This is the differentiator. Green Chef sends premium organic ingredients and imaginative new recipes each week. Now, here's the cool part. They have different kinds of meal plans, uh, depending on how you choose to eat in life. They have paleo, vegan, vegetarian, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore, and they even offer family plans. It's the coolest. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit delivery service. Each ingredient is thoughtfully sourced, and its journey is tracked from planting to plating. That's a nice phrase. And recipes include pre-made sauces, dressings, and spices, so you get more flavor in less time. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, a meal kit is a great thing for us. My kid loves to cook. She doesn't like to eat very much, but she loves to help cook. And we are so looking forward to that. I'll have more, more to say about this in the future, but I'm looking very forward to it. Uh, you you got to know, everything they have is handpicked. It's delivered right to your door. And anyone can be a cook because Green Chef's going to help. It's like the guy in uh, the Ratatouille says, anyone can cook, you know? Diverse array of recipes range from global cuisines to classic comfort foods, all with a signature touch. Now, here's what you need to know. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, you go to greenchef.us slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Greenchef.us slash diffs for $50 off your first box of Green Chef. Great new sponsor. Our thanks to Green Chef for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. 
Okay, 55 minutes in, we've got Merlin's Summer of Intentionalities. That's a bad slogan. We probably don't have time Um, for Quinn's video. I know, I do want to do that. Because I think we're not going to have time for it. And we're going to have time for the big topic. That's okay. That's a big topic. And I pivoted on you a little bit. Yeah, no, it's fine. But uh, but it'll keep. You like it when I uh, make screenshots of our text and put them in instead of typing? You like that? Why would you do that? I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) It's more more work to do that. No, it's not. You drag it. You drag it in. <sighs> you went in. You. <laughs> it was you giant. In. Like I go to the thing, and all of a sudden, this huge uh, text you, is like seven pasted. times bigger than the other text because it was I a watched, retina screenshot. I watched your little red cursor move around while I was talking to you in text, and it's this flurry of activity as you pasted in all of these texts and then formatted them properly. I to be clear, Merlin took a screenshot of his Retina iOS device of a message screen between the two of us. Explaining what I meant, I said, this is making sense. Here's my idea for a slight pivot on this topic. So I did the sensible thing. I did a screen jab, screen jab. I did a screen jab on my Retina device and I dragged it into the Google Doc like a gentleman. And it ends up being on on a 1X screen or in a 1X document. It ends up huge, right? Because it's twice the size you expect it to be. Real fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Right. And huge and filled with the bubbles and like all you wanted was the text right all so we have a document text. filled with text and now you screen jab mm-hmm. got like a, a, a truncated screenshot of a <laughs> bunch of giant iMessage blue text bubbles with huge text in it <laughs> you can copy and paste text out of messages I promise you <laughs> so that's what I did I copied and pasted text out of messages and deleted your giant image thank you we'll talk about that next time uh I, I I'll present this and you run with it um uh, Quinn, what's Qu- Quinn? What's Quinn's last name? Rose. See, I'm getting confused because now there's Rosemary Orchard, so I'm getting confused. Yeah, there's a lot of roses around. Um, uh, Quinn Rose had been talking in Slack about how people uh, have mostly nicely been coming to her and saying, "How do you, how do you get on the podcast network? How do you get on Relay? How how did you get on the Incomparable?" And she was real nice about it, but she's like, "It's weird. These people keep coming and asking these questions." And so she made a little YouTube video and put it up explaining, uh. Apropos of nothing, but explaining like how she ended up having a show on The Incomparable and having a show on Relay. And she was really nice about it. And I thought very, very civil. But she she gave the answer. She can send that to people who want it. But, you know, I thought that was really a cool, it was a cool thing that she did. She was very nice about it. But A, I think she was being very nice about it. She was kind of skipping past the strange entitlement of people who ask that question a lot of the time. But also, secondly, uh, it made me realize that this is something people have asked me about a lot, too. And I, I thought that might be an interesting thing to talk about. When people put, put in a broader context, when people have a podcast in particular, there seems to be this idea that like, oh, you know, I got, I got to want to play in the bigs. Like I want to get on some kind of a network. I want to do this kind of thing. And like, I wanted to talk about in any way you want to, what you thought of, of, of Quinn's video, but also thoughts about when people ask you how to get big time at podcasting or how to get on a network. Uh, I don't want to make this just about podcasting, but I think this is something some people might enjoy is uh, our point of view on this and ideas, uh, tips, and I think very much uh, dark, dark patterns to avoid would be interesting to me. So the first aspect of this that I think is interesting, which has been touched on in the discussions among various people in Slacks, but wasn't really touched on that much in the video, was who gets asked, uh, how did you do this thing, and who doesn't get asked? Right. So Quinn is saying people ask her, hey, you're on you're on these two podcast networks that maybe the, the person who's asking is a fan of. How did you get on them? Nobody ever asked. But it's me almost that. but it's almost like, how did you get on? Well, that's what I'm getting at. Like, it, I, since I've never been asked this, I don't know what uh, what emphasis they're doing. But the fact that they're asking her and various other people, but not asking me and certain other people as well. It's like 
there is an aspect of it from from the outside. It seems like, yeah, like how did you get on it? You're just whatever. Right. What what what's so special about you that that's, you're on this podcast network? A, you nailed it. That's a, that's yes, but, I see. Yes, but I'm exactly not. it. Right. Like I'm a, I'm a white guy. Everybody should want me to have, be on their podcast network. Or I mean, it might be age related because it, or, could, or it be could be like the status related. Where you feel like I've been doing this for ten years. How come I never got called up to the bigs? It, I mean, it really depends on the person. Quinn was saying that people, other people, were asking her were like her age. So maybe they expect like, okay, we are kids and we listen to this podcast network filled with old people like us who do podcasts. And maybe when I'm old, I'll have a podcast. But if you're a young person, how'd you get on the podcast network with the old people? Um, it could be a you know a status thing of. You're you're just a regular person like me. How did you get to be like you know, like I did with you? Like you hanging out with your famous people friends? Like what's so special about you that you get to hang out with famous people? Like right? So there right. is a sort of sour, potentially sour angle to this. But there's also the angle that Quinn talked about, which is, um, I don't the, know the, where the to implicit, begin. The implicit: What should I be doing? Who should I be pitching? Yeah, or like I mean, it can be you know various levels of desperation, but just like. You have had some success. I would like to have some success. What are some tips? What should I do? Because at some point you were like me, just the person who's in school and like has an interest in this thing, but has no, as she puts it, and I think it was a good way to put it, have, have no audience. Like there is, you know, I have no audience. I'm just sitting here in my room. I would love to be whatever it is, a musician, a poet, uh, you know, a videographer or a podcaster. Uh, and you can't, you before you have an audience, before you have anybody who knows you and your work and looks forward to it and likes it, you just feel like, well, I, I can do this thing. Is there anybody out there who wants this thing? So before you have an audience and you see somebody who has an audience, how did you go from not having an audience, but wanting one, to having one? And associating yourself with a collective, you know, whether it's a podcast network or... Uh, like Could have been just be like uh, getting getting a place that'll sell ads for you, for example. Yeah, S- signing a record label, as you put, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, how do you how do you cross that Rubicon from being a person who wants to have an audience to someone who does have one? Um, right. And and if I I've you know I've never been asked that, so I don't know what I would say to it. Really, but when, you don't get asked about that. That's what I'm saying. Like people well, don't. See, ask okay, so me. I think there's a distinction here. I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm super privileged for a million reasons. I was lucky enough to be at this early, and I'm a white guy, so like it is more often like, could you? And I'm very happy to do this with people to the extent that I can. Is any variety of questions around? Uh, I mean, seriously. I mean, I do everything I can to help anybody who wants this. Like, I will be happy to tell you anything I know about getting started with this. And and but the more the more ambitious that question is. It, how can I put this? I feel like there's like this two-sided thing that I want to tease out about this. And I love your distinction that you made about like, you know, how, how did you do this versus, you know, how did you do this or, or whatever? But I mean, on the one hand, I want to like partial, I want to like dispel. And I don't think this is a strictly privileged thing to say. I, I could be wrong and I'll, I'll take your, I'll take your notes on this. But like, I think a lot of people have a really, frankly, uninformed idea about, what is it they think they're getting into? Whether that, well, that could be signing a book deal, that could be getting an agent, but there's this still this sense, and I described it here as getting the multi-album deal at a record label in the 70s. This feeling of having arrived, you know, and they, they pull up with the limousine full of cocaine for you. I feel like there is there are some myths or misapprehensions that would be useful to correct about what happens once you're quote-unquote on a network. 
because I totally understand and have, I, I have been in that position of like, I want to be with the cool kids. Like that was my whole, like the early two thousands for me. I just wanted to be with the cool kids. I wanted to be with the bloggers. I wanted to be, I wanted to be friends with Jason Cocky. It was the creepiest thing in the world. I didn't even know the guy, but like, I just, I wanted that. I wanted to be linked to by these people. I wanted to be loved and appreciated and respected like these people. I can tell you a hundred percent that, but the thing I want to tease out here is on the one hand, the, the myths and misapprehensions, but then also I do have some ideas for ways for things to look at in terms of what you think network or insert name of other thing here will do for you and how you can run through an array of things to think about what it is you're really lacking as a 100% indie, but then also bearing in mind the downsides of each one of those decisions if you get into the wrong deal with the wrong people or for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I think uh, Quinn's video was was fairly focused in and how it was addressing these people, mostly dispensed with the people who are asking in bad faith or who really there's, you know, there's nothing that could be said to, but her, her answer, uh, before we get to what you, what you were mentioning, which is yeah. like, you know, so, so you get there, then what does that mean? But, but the answer, what do you, how you, what get do you expect? What do you, what do you imagine that it is? Right. There's no ceremony. No one gives you a sash and a crown. You have to work. You might have to work harder than you've ever worked before for, <laughs> for some money or maybe even less money than you were making before. It depends on what the arrangement is. It depends on what the technology and assistance you're going to get is, but all, all I want to say is that, yeah, it is nice to be able to like be in a slack with people. But on the other hand, like it's not, there is no arrival to this. I don't and, and, think. And her answer of how she got there was, well, I had been making a podcast myself yes. for a while. And like, seemed, like she, she like wasn't waiting. Like, boy, once I get on like relay, a good fit. it seemed like a good fit. Yeah. W- once I get on relay, then I'm going to start making podcasts. Like that is not a, it's <laughs> not a good plan. Right. Well, no, uh, no more than saying, like, once I get called up to the Yankees, I'm going to get really good at my swing. Right, right. I mean, I, you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme, but but the idea is, like, she didn't wait for any uh, anyone to anoint her. She just started making a podcast. And the way, the reason people, and the same thing with just making, like, YouTube videos, the reason people on, on Relay and the Incomparable Network, uh, you know, reached out to Quinn was because she had a body of work that they could look at and say... We like what this person does. We like this person's voice. We like this person's attitude. We like how this person does the things that she does. Mm-hmm. And how do they know they liked it? Because they could see her stuff, right? And ha- I forget how long she had been doing that podcast, but like, there, it wasn't like she had a secret plan to write just the right subject line and do an email to put in someone's email inbox or whatever and like write a, a cover sheet for a resume or do any sort of like pitching or like secretly at mentioning them on Twitter and doing it like. There were aspects of it that, like, and that she was a fan of the network. And she, she like did that funny, that. that funny video about. Right. But, you know. but that, that itself is not like the skills demonstrated in that video and in the podcast are, are the same skills needed to be successful on these podcast networks. Right. So there wasn't a lot of guesswork. Like uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, pulling a bunch of names from a hat or like seeking out people. It's like she was doing, she was doing it whether, whether she was on these networks or not. She was making podcasts. She was making videos. Bingo. She was just going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And most of the people I know who are associated with some larger, more successful entity, whether it be a website that they write for or like, you know, a, a network of people who do things or I suppose it's also true of record labels or whatever. Those people inevitably had a long series of things that they were doing that were less than that and had a body of work that was built up during that time. Even, even for me for writing for Ars Technica. Right. 
I didn't, it wasn't just like I went from not doing anything to now please uh, write a review of Mac OS X for us, right? Yeah. I was, I was writing online voluminously about these exact same topics on the Ars Technica website in their forums for a long time. And that's when the people who ran the site saw me and all the stuff that I was writing and said, here is demonstration of the skill we need writing about technology topics. Mm-hmm. And here's someone who obviously cares about it and is engaged with our site because they're on our site all the time. Hey, what do you think about not reviewing the latest thing? What do you think about doing a book review, which was the first thing that I did to them, like a book review, basically a book report, right? On a book and that, that I think just I had clear, already... That's because people knew you from the forum, from your presence, and from your and, work yeah, product. Yeah, from me writing about these exact same things in the forum. And, and, and that's the case where this happens, I think, with a lot of young people, if you're at the right place at the right time. If, like, I wasn't doing it with an eye towards, this is how I'm going to get into the site. This is how I'm going to be a writer for Ars Technica. Because it, it didn't even enter my mind. I was still in consumer mode where it's like, like, I didn't have a blog at that point. Like, I wasn't, the blogging revolution was not really, had not really come and claimed to me yet. I was, I read things online. And where they were formed, you know, Usenet, I would write things back and forth. But it was always like, here's the content and here's the peanut gallery. And I was in the peanut gallery. I got mm-hmm. plucked out of the peanut gallery by people who were looking for someone who knew about and wanted to write about these topics and someone who could write. And they didn't say immediately, now you're going to write a review of Mac OS X. They said, why don't you write a book report? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see how that goes, right? And, but, also, but also in that case, even as much as they, you're, you're a stranger that they like, it's, uh, and I'm really trying to avoid the privilege stuff here, which is going to be nearly impossible. I mean, there's so every almost everything I have is out of privilege. Well, even if that was just the privilege of good timing, so I'm trying to be circumspect about that. But in that case, it wasn't like it wasn't like some kind of Gilligan's Island dream sequence where someone came and like your Courtney Cox gets plucked off the uh, out of the audience to dance with uh, with Bruce. Like you're going to have to work on it, and they would not. I mean, as much as they may be very nice people there, they would not have offered that to you unless they saw value in what you were doing vis a vis. It would help. This this will be important again in, in five minutes. They, I'm guessing, chose you not just to be nice and give you a cookie, but because they thought that whatever it is that you were doing had something that was going to be valuable to them in what their goal was, which might have been page views, might have been an authority or whatever it is. But it isn't just because they like you and think you belong. They're going to throw the ladder down to you for the clubhouse. It was because they saw what you're doing as potentially valuable to their audience in achieving their goals. And in a specific way, in that they were, Ars Technica was, the the tagline of the site was the PC enthusiast resource, or something like that. They were a site for PCs, as in Mac versus PCs. They were PCs, Windows, Intel, Windows PCs. And here I was in the forums t- talking about Apple and Mac Interesting. Stuff. I didn't so know they that. Had, they had a gap that they were looking to fill. We, w- we are mostly a website for people who are overclocking their Celerons, right? Fine. But we we could branch out and we should write more about Apple stuff, but we don't have any writer on staff who is interested or knows about Apple Mac stuff, but we do have a forum about Apple Mac stuff. So again, right place, right time, already doing the thing they're looking for, which is writing hundreds and hundreds of words <laughs> and hopefully in some articulate way, passionately about Apple and Mac technology stuff. And so now I'm now I'm filling a need that they have, right? That That's all part of it, but like, I mean, I want to fast forward to this a little bit as like, uh, okay, so fine. That's, you know, you got lucky. You were in the right place at the right time. You're already kind of doing a thing. You were on a website that that you were reading and they happen to need a thing. How do you get to to have a podcast where you talk about Apple stuff? And this is more like the, the Quinn story and more like the story you hear from a lot of people who, you know, successful people. You hear this. It's a cliche at this point, but basically like 
How do I how do I get to do hypercritical? Well, step one, write Mac OS 10 reviews for 15 years. Step two, right, right. be in the right place at the right time again and have someone say, I do a podcast about technology stuff. You know about technology stuff. How did, how did Dan Benjamin know I knew anything about technology stuff? You know, oh, it must have been the decade of writing. <laughs> right? So that's not, if I told you, if you want to do this thing, step one is to, you know, spend 10 or 15 years doing this other thing. To establish right. your bona fides as someone who has a clue about technology. And step two is now, like, that's the people will say, well, that sounds like work. Can I just send a cleverly written email mm-hmm. or, like, at, mention them on Twitter with the right hashtag? Will that, will that get me on? Uh, right. you know, no, that's, that's the case with all these things. People, it, there's a, always a long road to whatever it is you think you're going. And I think now we can transition to, like, the long road to where you're going. Is it actually a destination? And the answer to that is not really. Yeah, I mean, I okay. So hopefully we've we've established our privilege bona fides at this point. But but I I do still want to address one thing that's that's still to me always an elephant uh, in the room with any of this stuff. And I'm not just talking about like wanting to be uh, on a podcast network or it's just that we all develop these completely understandable ideas about what success looks like and potentially how to how to achieve it. And what we know maybe better than any other feeling is that there's something missing from what you want. And so I guess the one thing I just, I kind of want to, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but one thing I kind of want to get out of the way is the, this is a very back to work kind of thing, but like, what is, what is it about whatever, whatever it is that you're doing? What is it that's not, what is it you feel like you can't do at this point? Or what is it that you're not getting? Um, and I, I have to tell you, a lot of people who have this, this like, oh, I want to go achieve this thing idea is like, it's a fairly nebulous idea of like, I want more listeners uh, or traffic. I very often, let's be honest, I want to get sponsors and make some or lots of money with this. Or often it's not like, I, I just, I want to be associated with this thing that I respect. Now, the thing is though, that's, that's just a handful of things here, but those are all pretty different things. So, I mean, I think it's important to clarify that, like, in the case of something like a, like a podcast network, um, you have to really ask yourself, like, what do you imagine will be different? Like, do you imagine that it'll be less work? Do you imagine that it'll be more money? Like, what is it that you, have you given a throw to doing it on your own first? Because, spoiler alert, if you have given a throw to doing that on your own and you understand why you haven't succeeded at that one aspect of it to the extent you can understand it, you're going to be much better situated to work with other people. There's, there's no, but there's not somebody who's going to parachute in and, like, you know, vault you to stardom. And so I just want to disabuse people of this idea where and there's, there's a million deals I've turned down because I knew it was not the right match because it wasn't going to solve a problem that I had and it could create a ton of problems that I didn't want, Right. So when you can join up with the network, get ready for stuff like, uh, are you cool with doing extra episodes? Are you cool with doing fun drives? The thing that you want is like, you want more listeners. Well, are you cool with doing lots of cross promotion? Are you cool with doing festivals or going on cruises? Are you cool with turning over if there is going to be even, and there's not, there's not as much money as you might expect in some of this stuff, but there is money, but like, are you okay? How much of that are you okay turning over to somebody else? Are there advertisers you just wouldn't want on your show? I'm not trying to be a karma suck, but I am trying to say there's no magic bullet for this stuff. And if you go in there with a very clear idea of like, I see how this could be mutually beneficial to this person or these people for this reason, you're getting closer. But 
if, if the whole idea is like, I just want to be recognized, be careful what you're getting yourself into, right? I mean, be careful when you, when you get an agent or a book deal or a podcast network or a record contract, make sure you understand that like people will do that with you when they think generally they will make more money from this than you could on your own. And you will give away some control of what you do. And I've been fortunate because every deal I've taken, I keep the amount of control that's important to me to the parts that are important. And I can say no to all the stuff that matters to me and the rest I don't care so much about. That's how you get a good arrangement. But I just, I'm just trying to say like, I don't want people to feel like there's some desire to like exclude people or something. But like, if you make a, if you do make a pitch to somebody and you have the evidence to show how it's a good fit that's mutually exclusive for a business, you're going to be further along than just going like, why didn't I get my sash yet? Is that privileged? Was that horribly privileged? No, I, I think the thing, getting back to what you said, like, what what is it that people want? Like, why do they want to be? When I've uh, done this know, thing, the following will be different. Right. Uh, on a podcast. That we're in. And I think the answer is what you uh, mentioned earlier is that they, they think it will give them a bigger audience, right? They think that the audience somehow comes with the association with the network. And in some degree, that's true, because if you're on a very popular network and they can cross promote you to some degree or you're on the website next to a very popular website or you're more likely to be mentioned by the very popular shows that are on that network. If you're also on that network, especially if you're a new show on the network, like all all of that is true. But and the, the other part is like the the same thing that causes, you know, all of us to uh, dehumanize famous people. Right. Because they like, the, you know, once you become essentially an institution and stop being an individual to people, yeah. which happens surprisingly quickly. Uh, in addition to people feeling comfortable being incredibly rude to you because you're not a person, you're an institution, they also feel that you that everything you do is sort of, uh, you know, automatically otherworldly successful, right? So once you get on the record label, the podcast network or whatever, mm-hmm. you have arrived and you will, you are guaranteed to be successful, like that it's a cheat code for the system, like Whatever it is you had to get there, that was the hard work you did. But once you get a podcast, You've arrived. On, uh, the podcast network, you are guaranteed the money will come rolling in. You will have fame, fortune, and an audience. Uh, and that is absolutely not true because if you could not get any kind of audience before you're on your podcast network, you will not be holding an po- audience on the podcast network with, without, you know, despite having all the help. You can't part of being, trick people. Yeah. yeah. Part of being on the podcast network, how you get on there is you know, have some demonstrated ability that the person who runs the podcast network, to your point, thinks your show will be successful. Well, and, and to put, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some happy um, things to add to this in a second, but let's be honest. You, you One may feel like all I need to do is get on XYZ podcast network and I'll start getting traffic. Well, be prepared for that person to say to you, the person at that I hate podcast network, it's such a dumb term. But like, if you're trying to join some kind of a collective and your idea is you're going to join up on that collective to to take more than you give, you might be disabused of that very quickly because guess what? They're bringing you in to bring traffic to them. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not there to, and it, it may be a benefit for everybody. Like I have to guess given how much cross promotion they do, maximum fun must be pretty good at this because they cross promote a lot of stuff. Uh, but that's the, that's the thing is like, but the, the happy thing I want to add before this gets too sad and privileged is like, also be careful about giving away your independence, like utilize that independence to make the thing you really want to make that like, if it's an audience of 10 people, if it's 10 awesome people, that's better than having a hundred dinglings. Like don't give your independence away too quickly for something that you don't understand. That's, that's a bowl of gruel that you're going to be paying for, for the rest of your life. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. 
You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. If you use that offer code diffs at checkout, you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and much, much more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, or a blog. Well, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of their award-winning templates are just beautifully designed to help you show off your great ideas. You know, I've been with Squarespace for many years. I can't even remember how many years. And I've been using it actually more and more lately. Uh, over at MerlinM.com. You can go to MerlinM.com slash playlists where you can see where I've been posting my Spotify and YouTube playlists. Of course, you can go to uh, RoderickOnTheLine.com. That is where the entire Roderick on the Line show is hosted. Easy as that. It is all done through Squarespace. Love them to death. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month. You can start a trial with no credit card required by going to Squarespace.com slash diffs. Now, when you decide to sign up, use the very special offer code diffs to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain, and that will help show your support for reconcilable differences. You go to squarespace.com slash diffs, offer code diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM Squarespace. Make your next move, make your next website. And that's why, you know, in the specific instance of podcasts and Quinn's thing, making a podcast on your own as you mentioned before, we'll let you know what parts of making a podcast do you hate? What parts are you good at? What parts are you terrible at? Right. <laughs> I and love invoicing. <laughs> right. You know, do you, or even just like, what about the editing? What about, you know, cleaning up the audio? Do you find that to be a pain? What if your show is a show with guests? Do you hate trying to book the guests? Right. Do you mm. hate trying to get the sponsors? You know, do, do you, whatever it is that, that uh, you are good at or bad at, like, you try to find a compliment for those. Like, I want to do these parts of it. Maybe, you know, I want to do all the editing because I love that. And of course, I want to be on the thing, but I don't want to have to deal with advertisers, right? Or I love doing the advertisers, but I hate booking the guests or whatever. And you're looking for something to compliment that. If you love all aspects of it, you don't need, uh, you know, to to, to uh, hitch your star to someone else's uh, network or whatever. You could just be uh, independent, right? And that's kind of what, hate- what Mike and Steven did, right? With 70, 70 decibels, right? Yeah, they kind of just they did their own thing. They looked at stuff like, I guess, like five by five and other places. And they were like, well, we can do this. And they did. That's that's how it started was they were doing their their Apple things. And that turned into that thing. It started because they love podcasts. I don't think it started because they saw themselves as international entrepreneurs. I think it started because they genuinely loved the medium. Now I'm going to get sappy about this, but they genuinely love that medium. And they but but they're able to do that in a way that they get to do the things that they want to do, but you still retain a, a fairly large amount of independence on that network. It's one reason that I'm here. But like, but also to your point though, like, uh, I mean, I had to stop following Chrissy Teigen on uh, Instagram because it's just too much Blue Apron and it's just making me sad. But like, you know, Chrissy Teigen, like, can she can get people to pay her to put things on Instagram because she's Chrissy Teigen? Like, none of us are in that position. Like, that's that's not going to happen. Like, I'm not going to get people paying me to be an influencer. That's, that's, that's a different kind of level than we're talking about here. What we're talking about at this level is that like, you still have so much agency and so much ability to create something 
like like just for the sake of argument like if you're if you're super hung up on this whole audience thing and you're always begging people to listen to your podcast and like and subscribe and whatnot like just for a moment like set that aside and like imagine like what if you had to make this thing that was just going to be super impressive to the people that you admired and to yourself like that's the thing you need to be making and like there's no guarantee of an audience with that but like that's very attractive to people you don't want to, you know, Lisa, nobody likes a grade grubber. Like nobody wants somebody out there who's like Johnny podcast with the little, with the little button and hit that bell. And like, that is a super turnoff to me, the constant begging for audience stuff. If you make something that's, that's super interesting and I'm attracted by the topic and come to love your voice, that's the kind of thing that I have to imagine anybody with any taste is going to be looking for. And if you talk about uh, a lot of the people you mentioned, Mike and Steven and other people, I really like a lot of people have had many, many podcasts in their past that never I've went anywhere. I've quit a bunch of podcasts. <laughs> like you try to make one, you try, oh, how about this? It just how didn't work that? out. There's this? ones that like, just didn't work out. And I just, I don't talk about them, but there's ones I just don't do anymore. Yeah. And again, this, the same way of like, uh, you know, assuming that the first, you know, because people, the first, most people hear of someone is their first successful thing. But, it, you know, like I said, the cliche, it is not the first thing they've done. They're not an overnight success. You just didn't hear about all the crappy things they did before because they didn't take off because for whatever reasons, probably because a lot of the earlier ones just weren't as good and you learn by doing. Um, so it, that's, I mean, if someone asked me that, I wouldn't, you know, the answer is not what people want to hear is like, well, first you fail a lot and do a bunch of crappy things and, and be in the right place at the right time. And, 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 you know, like there's just, there's just, there's, it's not, there's nothing actionable that doesn't also sound like uh, hard work combined with a lot of luck. And that's not luck, a luck and privilege, of, but you know, one thing you could do is um, like I say, be real clear about what it is that you imagine as you sit here today, what do you imagine will be different? You know, uh, heck, if you're a real fun person, why don't you just ask to join the Slack and just keep doing your podcast? <laughs> Who knows? It might work out. I don't know. But what I would say is trying, if you're like, I guess the, the, the big message of this that is a real karma suck and a bummer is that like they're being affiliated with some group is very rarely a guarantee of any kind of success or improvement and has hidden downsides unless you're super careful about how you get into it. And if you are going to do that, though, number one, I would say be very clear about what you're prepared to show as your as your track record and your promise of what you bring to them. And I would be prepared to throw away at least one really big tentpole about what you think that success will mean. And I would consider have that possibly being money because the, the money part can be real difficult. If the traffic's I'm just here to tell you, like, if the traffic's not there, there's there's just things I've done that there was just no chance because there wasn't enough there wasn't enough listeners to it. But if I keep doing it because I like doing it, guess what? Maybe eventually that turns into something that has a Patreon or maybe it becomes a something you, becomes something you can't imagine not doing, right? But like, I would not come into it feeling like you're Tom Scholes in 1976. Like, unless you really are that, uh, the Topakaj, like I would, I would be prepared to come in and say like, how can I help hand me a broom and be very clear-eyed about what you think you'll get out of it and what you can give back as a result. So, I mean, it's different for everybody, but- the beauty of this, what makes this so great and what's always so endangered every week with the evolutions in this dumb industry is like independence is what this thing is all about. Ultimately, that sounds corny, but it's true. Like everything I do, whether it's a thing that I do, which just me and John Roderick and I don't edit a thing or whether it's Relay where we have a, a our friend Jim who we pay to edit the show, whatever it is, like every single thing comes out of the beauty of the independence of the podcast medium as a thing, the RSS feed that has sound attachments that you listen to. Like th that is a beautiful thing that you can go out and the same way you can go out and make a blog, you can go out and, and make a podcast. And 
I'm not saying it's as easy as like work hard and it'll turn into a great thing, but like treasure that independence. That's what makes this medium good. And like, if there's a time for you to step into a situation with other people, maybe take some baby steps, right? Maybe the same way that like, for example, you look nice today and Jordan, Jesse go, we had kind of a funny, like little alliance. We weren't on maximum fun, but we did a little like mini tour with them and stuff like that. There's ways to affiliate yourself without having to be all in and act like you're going to get a parade. There are ways that you can improve what you're doing and find alliances and common cause with other people. It doesn't require you to like join anything. And that's, like as you mentioned, that's the beauty of podcasting is there's no, there's no barrier to entry. You can just keep making your podcasts on your own forever. Like there's no reason to stop at all. Right. And that's a great, if, if you aspire to be associated with these people that you admire or whatever, like you want to get on maximum fun. Like if I was trying to get a maximum fund, the way I would do it would not be talking to maximum fund. The way I would do it is by like making podcast after podcast that I think would fit on the maximum fund network and keep doing that until I make one good enough that somebody on maximum fund notices my podcast. Right. That's Mm -hmm. because there's no point in talking to them until you can do to your point, like something that they would find valuable. And you're not going to know whether you can do that without trying. And I would just assume that I would try because I've never done a comedy podcast before that I would have to try many, many times and fail over and over again. And you can do that all you want on your own. Like it's, if you can, or you could, you could make, you could make the next maximum fun. That's all, all the things that we're talking about here, these quote unquote podcast networks, which is so funny to me that it's like blown up as this. I don't, I just do not think of this as being a prestigious thing. Like I'm, it's cool that people think that that is not how I think of it. I think of it as like, this is like where the podcasts go, but like all of those people used to be in that position. It's just that they had the timing and the good luck and the whatever to like go out and make it into a thing. And it's still a grind. It's still a job. It's still a thing. Those folks, the folks who are running these things still work so much harder than you would imagine. You have no idea how hard Mike and Steven work. It's appalling how much work they do. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I know I'm not trying to, I don't mean to sound like a dick, but like, if you imagine that you are, if you have this entrepreneurial spirit, imagine that you were the entrepreneur of whatever it is that you're publishing. Like, how would you run it if you were, and then start doing that? Like, maybe you don't need that. Maybe that's a thing that comes along later. Maybe you can still meet lots of people you've seen on the internet, but you can keep doing your own thing. But like, don't look to, it's nice to feel accepted. And it's a wonderful thing to have, make new friends whose names you've heard before. But like, treasure your independence and do whatever you, this sounds like a bootstrap thing. And I don't mean it to sound that way, but like, just do everything you can on your own to improve the quality and consistency of what you're doing and find the listeners or uh, readers or whatever it is. This is sounding like that, that talk Gruber and I did, but I think that's, I think that's huge. And I don't know, here's, I don't know another way to do it. I don't know a way to like triple X your numbers or like order of magnitude, your numbers with tricks. And like just making something that would make the people you admire enjoy what you do and you having you both enjoy that is like, that's the dream that that is, is a great thing. You don't need to be a great grubber, make something really, really awesome that you love. And you may discover that you don't need an affiliation. And for for the affiliation, especially with podcast networks or whatever, I've always conceptualized it as the reverse in that once whatever it is that you're doing finds enough success that it brings in enough money that you can afford to pay someone else to do the aspects of what you're doing that you don't like. Mm -hmm. That's the time, like that's the role the network fills. Like, Oh, 
my show is making enough money that I can pay someone to edit. Finally, I don't have pay to edit because to I edit. find editing tedious. Right, pay right? someone to upload, pay someone to, pay some, to get ads. I would ads. like to pay someone uh, some money to sell the ads because I hate selling the ads. But you have to have enough money coming in from ads that you can afford to pay someone to do the part of the ads that you don't like, assuming that that's the thing you don't well, like. like. And do you want ads on your show? There's shows I've done where I just frankly don't want ads yeah, on the or, show. Or, or, or the Patreon and dealing with that. Like maybe you hate dealing with the Patreon and you would like to pay someone to do that. Patreon is even more not a silver bullet. This is so funny to me when people are like, why don't you just do a Patreon for this thing? I'm like, there's exactly one Patreon I've done in my life. It may be the only one I ever do because it is... It doesn't look like it. It's so much work. It's so much work to every week make people feel like you've earned their money. Mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. It weighs on you so much. Are you doing enough cool stuff? Are you doing enough treats? Have you disappointed people? Was the audio connection bad this week? There's a downside to all of these that it just sounds like blah, blah, blah until you live with it for a few weeks or months. But like each one of these has something to it that exposes you. Each one of these has things that will eat up eat up your time and your 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 mental space and that that can be good if that's what you want to do for a living you can do that but like but you can do so much of this on your own. What I'm trying to say is like don't feel like you haven't arrived just like do the thing on your own and you may arrive quote unquote way faster than you realize because there's not going to be somebody who who grabs you by the seat of your pants and pulls you up into the treehouse like make your own treehouse. Jim? Yeah. I think I think that's actually kind of a high bar though, because I feel like there is very there are very few jobs or things that can be done that you will be good at and enjoy all aspects of. So I think and no matter what people are doing, like even you know, even the, the things that Mike and Steven do, they do a lot of stuff that I would not enjoy. Oh jeez. Like the, the sort of the business stuff. They they're running a business that I I think I would not enjoy running. But I do enjoy being a uh, uh, on their network because then I get to do things I like and they get to do, do the things or delegate out to someone else to do the things that I don't like. Right. So but like in your job, you're perfectly satisfied mostly to make code and go to meetings like you don't want to work in HR and you don't because there's somebody else whose job that is. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the, that's the problem with doing something in, entirely independently. Like, like I think most people will fairly quickly learn here's the aspects of it that I enjoy and I'm good at. And here are the aspects of it that I would love to outsource if I could. And you can only outsource them once the thing you're doing build has enough value so that there's some value for left over to you to give to other people to take care of the things you don't like. Um, So yes, you can totally do it on your own. And you may find out, I mean, this happens with some people too, that actually I don't like making podcasts, but I sure like running the business aspects of a podcast. Right. Or you might you might find like weirdly enough, you really like the editing. Like I would do more stuff that involve people who aren't me and my pal, but like it it doesn't take that many times of trying to book a guest to make me go. <laughs> that, no, that's that's a part that's a part that you don't like. Trying to book guests and coordinate schedules. Or like trying to get somebody with, with a fifty thousand dollar podcast studio to be able to show up at nine AM and have their podcast be ready. But that's a separate <laughs> thing. <laughs> um I just I I would love every single idea I've had. I've got, a, I have text files full of ideas for podcasts I'd like to do that all involve people mostly that I'm not doing a podcast with. But I, at every point I stop at the point where I have to schedule people to be on Skype at a certain time, add that third track that I've now got to edit. And it's like, I, I, I have to be honest, I go dark. I go totally dark. Cause I'm like, nope. Uh, just trying to explain to somebody that they're still talking into their Mac and they forgot to turn on call recorder. <laughs> and now that morning is gone forever. Like I, uh, that, I, I am so sensitive to that. 
That's that, why Leo had people for this. <laughs> Remember we had that air conditioner installed? That was fun. Um, but you know, but do a thing, please do a thing. It's so fun, but don't, I mean, like you can make friends lots of ways and you can be on Twitter and meet people and become pals with people. Like you don't have to go into business with people to be their pal. You don't have to go into business with people to be respected by other people. And that's what we're talking about here. You're talking about going into business with strangers. Are there any other aspects of your life where you think, boy, I sure would like to co-own a deli. I don't know who that would be yet, but I hope somebody hires me to co-own their deli. <laughs> like that's not happening. Like you, you are, you are uniquely suited at this wonderful time before industries manage to totally screw up podcasts, which they probably will in the next two to six years for right now, it is still a golden time for you to go and make your thing and have your coolest friends get into it. And you, if I'm not, I can't promise you'll be huge, but like you will be making your own thing. When you see that number tick up, when you see it mentioned by somebody that you didn't know that you, whose name, you know, it's going to make you so happy. And like that, that can be a great thing on its own. And when you have shown that there's some kind of, it sounds like pickup artist stuff at this point, but when you've shown that it's a valuable thing where like, you're going to offer more than you receive, well, guess what? You just got hired. Now you, now you have a job inside this group. That could be what you want. It could be what you don't want, but understand what you're getting yourself into and like learn to enjoy what you've got right now because it's so good. And just uh, keep in mind that as weird and uh, sort of insular as podcasting must be, uh, it is always uh, better than like the actual Hollywood system, which is a hundred times worse in terms of getting your break and all that other stuff like you know, it's getting better because you can go and just make your own movie on your iPhone or you can if you're Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, but whatever, you don't have to but. you don't have to be you don't have to be approved or uh, physically jostled by anybody for your name to get out there. There's not as many gatekeepers, right? There's even, it's totally yeah. not. Yeah. Even I'm thinking I'm thinking of YouTube, which is like odd because like people aren't clamoring to get on a video network because YouTube is the only one that matters. Which is bad in many respects, but it does at least, you know, like on YouTube, you know, you get mentioned by a famous YouTuber by doing something noteworthy on YouTube, right? There's right. no joining the same network as insert famous YouTuber because you're all just on YouTube. I think in other places, there is still the impression that, you know, again, get the record deal with the big label in old in the old world or get on the popular podcast network in the new world or get a job on NPR, right? Like, but you that's know, on, how you on the popular podcast, that's why I keep coming back to this thing is like, yeah, get a, get a, get a gig on the popular podcast network right now. But like somebody else, other people are going to be at the top of whatever the heap is when the heap becomes whatever it's going to become in the next two to six years. Like maybe you want to, who knows, maybe you want to situate yourself there. Maybe you want to be one of the people who ruins this medium, which inevitably seems to be the thing that's going to happen. But like, you know, that you got to skate to where the puck is going in some ways. And like the, the more that you are independent and doing your own thing, the more flexibility you have to make the thing that works for now. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, but the other part of this is I do really genuinely, I mean, like Max and Alex have become like two of my closest friends that I text with all day long. I'm not for a minute going to set that aside. Like I, I love being pals with these people, but like, it's kind of almost accidental. The podcast part of it is almost secondary. Like we ended up wanting to do a show together because we liked stuff the other people had done. They like podcasts I had done. I like stuff that they had done with their game and their voice of the company and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm not about to say it's, it's, 
it's nice to be able to send you a picture of something funny in my life and have you receive it. That's a nice thing. But like, I don't know if I want to own a deli with you just to say we've got a nice deli. That worked out because this is something what we both deliberated about and this is the thing we decided to do and it works for now. But like, keep asking yourself that deli question in some ways. Like, is there any other part of your life where you think what you're doing makes you attractive to someone who has a car dealership? It's just that this feels like this like fifth level Hollywood kind of thing. And it's kind of not. You could do all of this on your own, like tomorrow. The other thing, especially with podcasts or people who might asking, how did you get on a podcast network is uh, they think they would like only deli because they like breakfast sandwiches. Like they think, you know, I like listening to podcasts. Therefore, I think doing a podcast would be fun. So it's like, I like eating at a deli. I should own a deli because I really love eating at delis. It's like, well, the experience of owning a deli has a lot less to do with eating yummy breakfast sandwiches than you might think. (laughs) There's a lot of handling goldenrod sheets of paper that you can't afford to pay. Um... I think that's mostly it. I liked I liked what she had to say though, and I thought it was I thought it was very kind. And you know, if anybody out there, I can't offer this unreservedly for the rest of time, but this is one thing where I'm very happy to help people to the extent that I can. If you have a specific question about this, or you feel like something is a mismatch, or you have an idea for something that you feel like isn't getting done, and you're not a douchebag, you can contact me, and I will help you to the extent possible. Uh, but but all the advice kind of comes down to the same thing, which is why aren't you already doing that thing? Why aren't you already doing that thing differently? Um, and like, what are you willing to give up to do this other thing? Make sure you understand what it is that you're changing and giving up in order to get this thing that may be of unknown value, unknown value, unknown <laughs> value. I'm tired. Plus, you should probably be making a YouTube channel because podcasts is, is passe. It's, I do. I do not know where this is going to go. I really do not know. It's weird. Even the people who like making podcasts don't make that many podcasts. It's strange to me how many of the things that we think of as tentpole podcasts become a tentpole podcast or public radio offshoot. And then the host just kind of disappears. And then there's like, oh, here's an episode of another show from our network. And they're, like they're making a big HBO series. Once once that happens, you're like five minutes of that. No, I need now I need to make something on HBO. Is that how it works? I guess that's how it works. The HBO spinoff of this show is gonna be great. <laughs> maybe that way we already aired and it was called the leftovers. <laughs> Which one are you? <laughs>